Okay. All right. So today we're wrapping up our series called Extravagant Trust. And it's this series, as we've talked about, it's this series about generosity, which is one of our core values as a church. We want to develop a culture of generosity around this place. We want to be known as a generous organization. We want people who are part of this place to reflect generosity in the way they live their lives in, in every area of life, in the way, in, generous with their homes, generous with their times, generous with their emotions, generous with their resources, generous in every way. We want to be a church that is, that is filled with people who are living generous lives. And, um, and we've been talking about this for three weeks. I, I gotta tell you, this has been a four weeks, this is the last of a four week series on generosity. And, and, you know, sometimes we talk about generosity, it's hit and run. It's like, don't let anybody know what you're talking about. Hit them, because they wouldn't show up if they, if they knew what you were talking about. Hit them, and then just kind of go on to something else. We have not done that with this. This has been a four-week series. And, and we let you know what it was, was going to be about. You've known. And here's the thing that I just find amazing is that you keep coming back. Like, you keep coming back. And I, I keep, every week I go home and I tell Donna, no one's coming back next week. Like, that's, that was it, you know, that's it. And you keep coming back. And I think it's a reflection of the fact that as a congregation, like, we are filled with people who genuinely have a heart for God and want to figure out how to live the generous life even better. Like, that is the heart of this congregation, and it's just so exciting to pastor a congregation that's like that. Now, when we do a series, it, in some respects, this is true of every series, but it's certainly true with this series, is that it's kind of like a TV series. You know, a TV series is different than a movie, and, and the narrative uh, arc is different than a movie. With a movie, you have to cover the whole narrative arc in like one fell swoop. Beginning of the movie to the end of the movie, whether that's a two-hour movie or whatever, he's got to get to from the beginning to the end in kind of one fell swoop. But with a TV series, you have this overarching theme that runs through the whole series, but you don't get that whole narrative in one episode or in any single episode. Each episode is just kind of one piece of the whole story. And that's the way that I've approached this series on generosity. It's been a four-episode, a four-episode series. And not everything that can be said about generosity has been said in every episode. But when you look at this series as a whole, hopefully you begin to see the, the narrative arc. You begin to see the whole picture a little bit better. So today... Before we delve into the final episode of this series, I, I think it would be good to do what, what good TV shows do to help people catch up with a series. Uh, either because they missed an episode or because they have maybe kind of forgotten what was in the previous episodes or, or whatever, just kind of to catch up. And what they do is they do a previously on, previously on the whatever the name of the show. Uh, and, and so you're reminded of the past episodes. You're reminded and you get ready by that kind of um, reflection back. You get ready to watch this episode. And sometimes before the final episode, they do a little bit of an extended version of that just to make sure 
that everyone is caught up before they launch in to that final episode of the TV series. So that's what I want to do today. I want to give you a little bit of an extended version of previously on extravagant trust. And, and just to make sure everyone's caught up, just in case uh, you maybe missed an episode or, or just in case maybe you've just forgotten everything that I've said. And, and so I just want to kind of take a little time to remind you. In our first episode, we talked about having a scarcity mentality when it comes to money versus an abundance mentality, a, an abundance mindset. And we talked about how if you have a scarcity mindset, then you will think that your money is yours, that you own it, that you possess it, and you will be driven by the fear and the anxiety of never having enough. But if you have an abundance mindset, you will see that God is the owner of everything, that everything belongs to God, that God owns everything, that God doesn't need our stuff because it's not our stuff. It's God's stuff. And he shares it with us because he's a generous God. That our generosity flows out of his generosity to us. It's just a response of his generosity to us. And if we have an abundance mindset, then we will not be driven by fear or anxiety when it comes to money because we know that God will provide the resources we need to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do. That was week one. Then in our second episode, we talked about the illusion of certainty. We talked about how all of us crave certainty and that money is one of the ways that we try to guarantee certainty uh, certainty in our lives. We feel like if we have enough money, we can control our lives. If we have enough money, we can be in control of our lives. But in a broken, sinful world, certainty is an illusion. And for those of us who follow Jesus, that's okay because it's in the seasons of, in, of uncertainty that we learn to trust God at even deeper levels. We learn to trust that God will take care of the gap that exi- exists between God's provision that we can see and what it is that God wants us to do. There's almost always a gap between God's provision that we can see like in this moment and, and what it is that God is calling us to do. And and. And dealing with that gap involves trust on our part that God is able to handle and provide in the midst of this gap, even though at this moment in time, we can't see it. It it helps us to grow in our faith. And then in our third episode, we talked about the habit of generosity. And we talked about how one of the habits of generosity in the Bible that the Bible talks about is the tithe, giving away 10% of what God has entrusted to our care for the work of the kingdom. But according to the Bible, we talked about this last week, the tithe is not the goal. The tithe is not the end game. The tithe is just the starting point that God wants us to grow in the grace of giving. And that's what Jesus was talking about when he confronted the Jewish leaders who were faithful to the tithe Like they were faithful down to the point that they tithe even on the spices that they own. They were faithful with the tithe, but that's where they stopped. They did not go beyond that. And Jesus tells them that the generous life that he's called them to doesn't 
stop at the 10%. He wants them to grow in the grace of giving. He wants them to experience the joy of living this ever-increasingly generous life. And that's what Jesus wants for us. He, he doesn't, it, it doesn't matter like where we are starting from. That is not the issue, where we are starting from. And so whether you are starting from like not really being very generous at all in terms of giving to the, the kingdom and the work of Jesus in this world, whether like that's where you're starting from, or you are a faithful tither and you've been a tither for your whole life, or you've been a tither over the last several years, or you go way beyond the tithe and you give tithes and offerings and you give way more than, than even the biblical idea of the tithe. Like wherever you are starting from, that's the point. Where you are starting from is not the issue. The issue is growing in the grace of giving. And I challenged everyone last week over these next 12 months to take some step, some step of faith and grow in the grace of giving. Wherever you're starting from, to grow in the grace of giving at least by 1% this year. And in, the, in this final episode, I wanna talk about the legacy of generosity that treasures the things that God treasured. And I want to begin today with uh, an interview uh, of a family that has developed uh, a cultural, a culture of, of generosity. And uh, so would you welcome uh, Bill and Francis Perkert and Bill and Natalie Zeke. Give them a huge Fairfax welcome. All right, folks, thank you uh, so much for doing this. And uh, so let, let's just start. I know that a lot of people know you guys. You've been a part of the church for a number of years. But uh, just remind us again how long you've been at uh, Fairfax and how you first got connected to Fairfax. So, so we started coming in 2006. And, you have and the details. we came, our pastor from our previous church was on sabbatical. And so she worshiped here when she was on sabbatical and told us about the church, and we were very curious, so we came and never left. The moral of that story is never go on sabbatical as a pastor of a church. This is Bill and Natalie Zink, and then Bill and Francis. Bill and Francis, how, how long have you been at the church? And well, Natalie and Bill came, you said, around 2006. I think I was the next year because they were talking about how wonderful it was. And so I said, well, we got to try this out. And here we are. And you guys are connected. Yeah, Tell Nat everyone how you're connected. Yeah, Natalie and I are sisters, and we actually have four other sisters who are not here today. All right, very, very cool. So let's talk about this, this culture, culture of generosity. You, you all have been so, so generous in, in so many ways. You've been generous to Fairfax, the ministry of Fairfax, but you have been generous to other organizations that God has laid on your heart that are making kingdom impact in this world, kingdom advance in this world. You're generous. Uh, you've been generous with your homes. You've opened your homes up. You guys are hosting some folks right now. Uh, you've been generous with your homes, generous with your time, uh, in, just in so many ways. And Bill, you've been generous when I've gotten into situations where I needed a little help from a professional uh, that you uh, deal with stuff in terms of development and all of that. And uh, and I just I just want to get a sense of like whether this is something that in the families that you grew up in, you know, whether this is something that was 
was talked about and kind of uh, intentionally nurtured or whether it was something more that was just kind of caught and you just saw it. Um, and the same in terms of your families, whether it's something that, you know, your kids just kind of see or you talk about it. Just talk a little bit about kind of that culture of generosity. Yeah. Well, our parents were very kind and loving and generous, and they didn't talk about it a lot, but they led by example, and it clearly had a big impact on us. Um, we grew up here in Fairfax County. My, our dad had a solid middle-class job. There were six children, so money was always tight, but right off the top, he always gave a tithe to the church, and the IRS didn't believe him, and so he was audited more than once because he... <laughs> They didn't see that he would give this much having so many dependents. But um, so that was certainly something that um, was very quietly done because his faith was very deep, but on a quiet level. And then um, after he passed, um, Mama and I kind of looked at, you know, what the estate was. And Mama gave a tithe on that amount um, right off the top. Wow. And then um, after Mama passed, um, we inherited some money, and we took, you know, right off the top 10% of that as a gift also. I love the fact that the IRS could not believe <laughs> that a family with this many kids was giving that much money away. That's just really, really cool. Uh, I hope that's not uh, a warning to everyone. Let, if you tithe, you'll get audited. But uh, so, um, yeah. I, I just married into this family. Okay, so talk, <laughs> so talk a little bit. You, you came from a different family culture as it relates to this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had seven kids in my family, and yeah. my dad had a middle-class job, and, and um, he never really talked about it. He, I called him a grumbler. You know, he grumbled about a lot of things, but he always did it. I mean, he always yeah. gave. I don't know what he did, but yeah. he always did come through in the end. Yeah, and what about you all with, I didn't ask you this in the first service, but what about you all just with your kids, you know, as you have kind of walked out, this, I mean, there are aspects to your generosity in terms of the opening of your home and your families and all of that that are so evident. Do you, do you, do you have you talked with them about like what it means to do? They talk, yeah. You know, I tend to lead by example as the best I can. And so I think, um, and we started going on mission trips with our kids. And so yeah. when we didn't have money, we would give our time. And uh. by going on those trips, that's led to so many blessings in our life. Well, you know, Haiti, you know the story with that. Absolutely. And that's just been a huge impact on our lives. And yeah. my kids have all been involved in all of that. So we started with the time. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Very yeah. cool. And, yeah. and I think our children saw with, um, you know, my parents, um, I was a product of two immigrant families huh. that came together. My dad was one of the first professionals, and he didn't really give money, but what he did give was mentorship to the next generation mm -hmm. of who all became professionals. Ah. And so uh, my kids have seen that, and they've also seen that when, as my parents got elderly, my mom became disabled. She had a bad stroke, and we took care of her. Yeah. And huh. so, yep. you know, it's just natural. It's just what we did. Yeah. There was yeah. no question about it. Yeah. Very, very cool. Very cool. Where, where are some of the ways that you have seen God provide it? Maybe, maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way that kind of symbolizes his provision for you. But where have you seen God provide in a way that has strengthened your faith, strengthened your trust in him? Yeah. Well, our... <laughs> It's my turn. Uh, we really struggled with how much to give over the years to church and kind of went back and forth between the two of us, and we lived paycheck to paycheck. We didn't really have any savings. 
and uh, the recession was pretty devastating yeah. in 2008 or nine, and yeah. we were here and heard Rod's sermon and. So we, we, had, we had six kids, and it was like, we just have to get food on the table. And uh, Rod, similar to this session, I guess, yeah. he was given a sermon on giving, and it was 2009, and we literally were um, struggling with, uh, are we going to go bankrupt? Are we going to lose everything that we have? Wow. And so we came to this church service, and you spoke and challenged us to give and trust, and if you do that, you'll be okay. And so we went home that night. And decided that we've just got to do it. Wow. And so whatever we, and ever since then, we just have taken it to heart. And, you know, it's actually a pretty amazing experience. You know, one, you're thankful for what the gifts you have. Yeah. And then two, you know, it's an amazing gift to be able to give yeah. and not be grumbly about it. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. and I think that's just what's really changed us so much. That's so cool. And, and, and to do that in the midst of so much, you know, I was talking about uncertainty, so much uncertainty in your own lives and in the broader um, economy of, of the country. And uh, then he, we just were blessed ever since. I mean, it, yeah. he, we just continue to get blessed. And, and not that it's easy. We still have difficult times. But yeah. knowing that he's there and will be watching out for you yeah. has impacted us That's so, so much. Cool. And, That's... Our, and, our, and our, speaking of our kids, our kids saw that because they yeah. were living through Absolutely. doing anything we could just to put food on the table. Absolutely. And that has a generational impact. There's no doubt about that. That's so cool. Yeah. Bill, Francis, yeah. So uh, I think for us, God's provision has been very slow, but very faithful. Nice. And what I mean by that was he's given us the blessing of being able to work yeah. together for the last 44 years. Yeah. So uh, I just retired last week. Um, <laughs> but uh, during the course of that work, and of course, God's provision, which allowed us to provide for our family and so forth, Francis and I then had a discussion about what would our generosity look like during those productive years, and then what would that generosity look like in retirement when the productivity wasn't yeah. quite the same, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what we decided in terms of the now, when we were in it, we looked at what we were giving um, in terms of generosity to different organizations, and there may have been 20 or 30 organizations that were all good, but we didn't know what their impact would be in the broader scheme of the world and Christian impact. And what we decided to do was to hone that back to one or two very special organizations to each of us, but that we would take the money from the other organizations and instead give it to the impact of the church. Yeah. Because we were completely in line with the vision and mission of Fairfax Church. Yeah. And we trusted them. And we just said, that's where the money will go. Yeah. And the... In terms of the now now, the retirement now, we wanted to re continue to remain generous as we got older and as our resources were less. And so what we decided to do, and there's many things to do, but we decided that we would start a charitable giving fund. And if you're not familiar, it's a fund where you can put money in. You have no personal access to that money anymore but it grows, um, let somebody else make some money for you, huh. and then you just decide who to give it to and when to donate it. Um, and it's, it's there for us to decide when kingdom opportunities come up that we know that there'll be money there to, to give. Yeah. And so, and that fund hopefully will continue after we're gone and that our children will make the right decisions with that money as well. That's so awesome. And, you know, there's two things I love about that story. One, I love about the I love the creativity, like of figuring out 
Uh, and I think that's when you are committed to a lifestyle of generosity, like there is a lot of just creativity sometimes of how do we live that out given the particular circumstances that we are in. I love the creativity, but I also love the fact that you started thinking about this intentionally before you got to this point. And we're thinking through, okay, here's the season of life we're in now. Here's the season of life we're going to be in. How do we continue to live out this generous life? You know, and it's just so just Can so I make cool. One more comment. Oh yeah, about absolutely. That? And and that um, creativity didn't come from my brain. It actually came from a Rod sermon, because I heard Rod speak. Wow. <laughs> Give it up for Rod. Yeah. No, the, I need to uh, listen to my own messages. <laughs> so uh, Rod had mentioned during uh, a sermon that the church tithes yeah. off the contributions. Yeah. And that then I think you select three different things to give to where the impact can be the greatest. And I thought, we thought to ourselves, that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Instead of 30 organizations where who knows the impact, we're going to hone it down to one place where we really know the impact. Yeah, that's so, so it, cool. So it actually grew out of that. That's so cool. Thank you guys so much. I just, I just want to say thank you for the faith that you have lived out. Um, in this congregation, through this congregation, and beyond this congregation, that you are really kingdom citizens, and it's just so evident, and it's so neat to just be able to kind of be on this journey with you. Thank you for your generosity to this place. Thank you for doing this uh, today and just being a part of this church. Would you show your appreciation to these guys today? Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's so cool. That is so, so cool. Um, just uh, so many stories of uh, just God's faithfulness and folks living out this, uh, this generous life that God calls us to. Um, so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about how he wants us to live in this uh, broken, sinful world. And he talks about money, sex, and power, the, the big three. So if nothing else should cause you to be interested in the Sermon on the Mount, that, that should. Like just, it's about money, sex, and power. And what he has to say about um, uh, all of those things is incredibly counterintuitive and, and countercultural, uh, radically countercultural. And this is what he says about money. Uh, Matthew 6. Do not store for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then you skip down to verse 24, and he says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And money is capitalized there, and it's capitalized because Jesus is uh, personifying money here. He, he's saying that money is like, it can be like a rival God, a rival master, a rival Lord. And then when Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, Jesus is saying that, that money actually gives us a kind of roadmap to our soul. He's saying that if we know what, what really captures our heart, if we want to know what really captures our heart, 
If we want to know where our sense of self-worth comes from, our sense of purpose comes from, uh, he says, just follow the money. Just follow the money. Look at where your money most easily flows. Not just where it goes, where it most easily flows, where it most easily goes. Look at where it most joyfully goes, where there's the most joy around it going toward that particular thing. Like, look at where it flies out of your pocket uh, to the degree that it doesn't even feel like it's, it's, it's going. It's just like this, just the natural kind of, he said, just kind of follow the money. It, 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 just a few examples. Like, if it's really easy to spend money on, on our appearance, on, on things that make us look good, if money just kind of flies out of our pocket with that, kind of stuff, then Jesus is saying that's, that's a reflection. There's a reflection there of what's going on in your heart. If it's really easy to spend money on technology or on a car or on things for our house or on things that make us look more successful and, and maybe give us a, a sense of status within culture, like whatever, that, if money just kind of flies out of our pocket for that stuff, then Jesus says that's, that's a reflection. That's a reflection of what's going on in our heart. Or maybe we're sitting here and you're saying, oh, I'm so proud because I don't spend money on any of that stuff. And, and maybe you don't spend money on any of those things. Maybe um, you're really frugal with all of that. Maybe money doesn't fly out of your pocket for any of that stuff. Um, and you really feel good about that. But instead, money flies out of your pocket into your savings. And we sock it all away. Like we don't spend it, but we don't give much of it away either. And Jesus says, that's a reflection of what's going on in your heart. I've shared this before that when I first came to Fairfax, I read a book that changed my whole perspective really on money. And the name of the book was called Die Broke. And it had a number of pillars that were in there. And some of them, I don't remember kind of the pillars book, but the one that I remember was this kind of this issue of die broke. And the idea was it was written by two financial wealth managers who were seeing this huge movement of wealth going from generation to generation. And this, they were talking at that time, this is the biggest uh, transition of wealth that will happen in the history of the world. And they were watching all of that happen. And, they were, and the premise of the book was die broke. And what they meant by that is don't make your death the most generous thing, the most generous act of your life. Like, figure out ways to be generous, not just kind of waiting till your death to be generous. And that has shaped the way that Don and I think about our resources of like, yeah, we want to save, we're saving for retirement, we're saving for all that, we're saving for passing you know, along to our kids, all of that kind of stuff, to the church, to organizations, all that stuff. But we don't want our most generous act to be just our death. Like We want to live lives that are generous now where we can actually see and experience the joy of that generosity. Or maybe what's really easy to spend money on are things that advance the kingdom. Maybe money just flies out of your pocket when it comes to things that bring heaven to earth, when it comes to things that are about loving your neighbor, when it comes to things that are about bringing Jesus, people to Jesus, when it comes to things that are about advancing the kingdom, all of that, Jesus says that also is a reflection of what's going on in your heart. He's saying that money is a map 
of the soul. And if we want to know the things that are capturing our heart, he says, just follow the money. Now, Jesus is pretty clear about the things that should and should not capture our heart. He doesn't really mince any words with that. He says in verse 19, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. In other words, Jesus is saying, don't treasure the things that you can lose. Like, don't treasure things that you can lose. Don't treasure the things that the circumstances of life can take away from you. If you treasure those things, you're always going to be worried about those things. You're always going to be anxious and feel insecure about those things. Why? Because of the moths, because of the rust, because of the thieves. Instead, Jesus says that these are the things that we should treasure. He says, but store for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. In other words, Jesus is saying that we should treasure the things that the circumstances of life cannot rip away from us. The things that no one can steal. The things that will never wear out or need to be replaced or need to be upgraded to the most current model. That we should treasure the things of heaven. That we should find our source of meaning, our sense of self-worth, our sense of our security, our sense of purpose in those things. Now, that raises the question then, because I've heard this word, this text preached a lot, and, and sometimes it's just like, oh, it's a little cringe factor, because it, I think sometimes people interpret it in a way that is not really what Jesus is talking about here. What does it mean to store up treasures in heaven? Like, is Jesus talking like, what does it mean to store up treasure in heaven? Is he talking about some kind of like, you know, heavenly credit card of some sort where you accumulate points here that you can use in heaven? Like you kind of, you do things in a certain way that accumulate like heavenly points for you when you get to heaven and you can use your points to get a, a free flight in heaven, whatever that means, or a free upgrade in heaven, or a free stay at a heavenly five-star hotel, or a free heavenly cruise, whatever. Like, is that, is that what Jesus, is he talking about something we do now that then gives us like points or credits that we can like cash in when we get to heaven. And the reality is, no, that's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is not talking about something on earth that we do to get special perks in heaven. The treasure that Jesus is talking about is himself. That Jesus is the treasure. There's all kinds of verses that remind us of this, but the one I love maybe the most is in 1 Peter where Peter talks about this when he says, now to you who believe, that's any of us who are followers of Jesus, now to you who believe, he, Jesus, he is precious. Peter actually uses the noun form of precious there. He is literally saying that Jesus is the preciousness that Jesus is the treasured one, that Jesus is the ultimate treasure. And what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6 
is that you can treasure money and the things that money can buy or you can treasure Jesus, but you can't treasure both. They are mutually exclusive. Listen again to what he says in verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, you can make lots of money and treasure Jesus. Like, you can have lots of money and treasure Jesus. There are all kinds of amazing kingdom things that you can do with tremendous resources. You can have lots of money and treasure Jesus. You can make lots of money and treasure Jesus. Like there is no problem with any of that. The resources that God entrusts to our care, there are amazing, amazing things that can be done with those. And, and so many of you in our congregation, like there are amazing things that you are doing with the resources that God has entrusted to your care. So you can make lots of money and treasure Jesus. You can have lots of money and treasure Jesus. Those are not mutually exclusive. But you can't treasure money and treasure Jesus. You can't love money and love Jesus. Now here's what's interesting. Is that you can believe in Jesus and not treasure Jesus. That there's lots of people that believe in Jesus that don't treasure Jesus. They believe in Jesus, but they still treasure other things. They believe in Jesus, but they still treasure money and the things that money can buy. Their heart is still captured by money and the things that money can buy. So what does it mean to treasure Jesus. Like, what does that look like in our lives to treasure Jesus? Well, it means that the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus is the lens through which you look at everything in your life. Everything in your life, you look at it through the lens of the person of Jesus and the mission. Of Jesus. You look at your money through the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. You look at your vocation through the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. You look at your relationships through the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. You look at the decisions that you make through the person of Jesus and the mission of Jesus. And do you know what causes you to, to treasure Jesus? In that way, it's coming to the realization that that's the way that Jesus treasures you. Why did Jesus come to earth? Why did Jesus leave all of the treasures of heaven and enter into this broken, sinful, dark world? It's because there was something here that he treasured more than all of the treasures of heaven. And that was you. You are his treasure. You are Jesus' treasure. 
And knowing that will cause you to treasure him. Knowing that will cause you to look at everything that you do and everything that you say through the person of Jesus and through the mission of Jesus. There's an old hymn that has been around for a long time. I sung it as a kid growing up. It's been uh, redone a lot. Um, and uh, just because it's such, it's just such a powerful hymn and powerful phraseology and powerful words. It, it's called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. And the chorus says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and grace. That's what those who treasure Jesus do. In the midst of all of the chaos of life, in the midst of all of the things that demand our energy and our time and our resources, in the midst of all of that, all the things that compete for everything in our life, those who treasure Jesus on a regular basis in the midst of the chaos and the midst of the demands and all of that they find a way to turn their eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and when we do that the things of this earth all the stuff that can enslave us, all the stuff that we think is so important, all the things that sometimes we give our whole life to, the things of earth, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and His grace. God, we want, we want to be people that don't just believe in You, we want to be people that treasure you. We want to be people who turn our eyes toward you, who look into your face. People who allow the, the things of this earth to, to become of less importance to us to fade in some respects into the background. To grow more and more dim because of your glory, because of your grace. May it, may it be so in our lives. May we treasure 